here's a new episode of Full Body Frights. Hey guys, this is Emily. Unfortunately, Ashley's having some technical difficulties tonight, but we are so lucky that we have Jay Wall from Jay vs. Horror. Hi, Jay. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great. Happy to be here. Good. good. So y'all check him out. It's awesome. Jay vs. Horror. It's fantastic. And new stuff always coming out. So tonight we're going to be talking about the 1990 psychological horror thriller masterpiece jacob's ladder as well as the phenomenon of the mandela effect so i'll begin by reading the back of the vhs for jacob's ladder director adrian lynn from fatal attraction fame uh, takes you on an intense horrifying journey with a shocking ending that will haunt you forever tim robbins is jacob singer a man who lives in a nightmare Wounded in Vietnam, he's now back at home in New York City. Torn between the memories of his son and terrifying wartime demons, Jacob is slowly losing his grip on reality. His beautiful girlfriend, played by Elizabeth Pena, only adds confusion to his life, drawing him into a web of sexual intrigue. But ultimately, it's his friend Louis who turns out to be the only one Jacob can truly count on. So your thoughts. Well, that's kind of a rough description of the film, isn't it? <laughs> it, it yeah. It's kind of, I think it would be kind of hard to summarize it period, you know? Yeah. Without giving anything away or saying too much, but, uh, and we do spoilers here. So, you know, I would say I, I always liked Elizabeth Pena's character in this movie. I, think she's one of the underrated parts of the film playing the girlfriend jesse um i kind of had a crush on her when i was <laughs> you know a little bit after this came out and everything so i didn't see that uh she was a problem for him i thought she was trying to help him out oh totally agree yeah um so really in this movie we have a it's really a war movie a horror movie a thriller I mean, it's pretty much everything in the kitchen sink, but somehow it works. Um, we have him as a postman. He's he's come back from Vietnam and he's working for the post the post office, and um, he is starting to experience these really insane visuals and demons. He thinks, um, which he starts beginning to think are something to do with Vietnam. Because some really weird stuff happens at the beginning um, when they're sh when they're in Vietnam, they seem to be hallucinating. So uh, he meets up with a friend. The friend ends up dying from a car bomb, and they try to you know get this taken care of with an attorney. The attorney drops it because he says they were um, all dishonorably discharged. Um, so he meets, finally meets up with this guy that's been following him, who's played by Michael Craven, who is awesome. And he's, he finally finds out that this is a dude. What happened was that he had killed, they had all killed each other because they were given a psychological, like a hallucination drug um, to enhance performance in the war, but they, it had ended up causing them to kill each other. So, 
Um, it kind of goes, you don't know where you are ever in the movie. If you're in a reality, if you're in a fantasy, is he with his old family with Macaulay Culkin, who was actually uncredited as his son that dies in a, a by, well, he gets hit by a car. Um, is he with his old family or is he with his girlfriend in this apartment? You don't really know what's happening. He doesn't really know what's happening until the end. And you still kind of don't know what's happening. So, um, Anyway, I guess that's that would be my summary of it. It's still pretty convoluted, I think. But what are your thoughts on the movie? Well, this is an era where Vietnam and the soldiers coming home and stuff like that was used a lot that as a plot line, actually. And, um, you know, they don't do it anymore. Today, they, when they talk about soldiers coming home, they're coming home from Iraq or Afghanistan. And it's a little bit different situation because... I know those guys had a hard time too there, but you know at least when they come home they get a handshake and thank you for your service, ten percent off at Wendy's, something. You know, um, <clears throat> a lot of these guys that came home in the seventies, they got spit on when they got off the airplane, and they got told that they raped babies, and you know, some of these guys that just spent you know years in the jungle, they come home the first people they see uh, are calling them names and telling them they're horrible people, so. Uh, they went through a depression that a lot of people don't understand. You know, the people that came home from World War II, that was the greatest generation. And even the guys that are coming home now, even though they have some PTSD issues and things like that, some of them, but uh, they still get embraced by society a little bit. And uh, these guys were treated horribly. And so then when they started to develop psychological problems and there seemed to be a large uh, number of the community of these guys who came home who did, uh, you know, then they were kind of made fun of. Then it's, it's oh, man, they're having flashbacks, and they took too much acid in the jungle and stuff. So it's really kind of sad the way these guys were treated. You can see that in other stuff. I mean, Rambo was a Vietnam vet. Uh, Magnum P.I. was a Vietnam vet. They worked it into a lot of different things to kind of give characters vulnerability. It's done so much differently in Jacob's Ladder because, in a way, even though this film is wild and it's visually... Uh, almost like watching someone's delusion. Uh, it still kind of takes it seriously that more than a lot of other people have with the issue. And it gives these guys the benefit of the doubt, you know, that you, you don't know what could be happening to them. You weren't there. You didn't experience what they experienced. So there's no way of knowing what they're going through now. And, and then, of course, the end, I think once you see the end, it's kind of like the sixth sense in a way where once you see the end of this film, the next time you watch it, it's almost just as interesting as it was the first time because now you have all the missing pieces and you can kind of put things together. Uh, I thought, you know, given the ending, that's why he's even a mailman because it's a uniform. You know what I mean? It's something similar in his mind. It's not real. But uh, I love this movie a lot. I give it, you know, like an 8 out of 10. Um, it's one of my favorites to go back and rewatch from that era because – Right around 1990, there's like Misery and a few other good movies, but there's not a ton of stuff that's uh, very memorable. So, yeah, Tim Robbins and Elizabeth Pena, Danny Aiello in this. Uh, great cast, great story. Very sad. That's the only problem I have with it. It's heart-wrenching to watch the whole thing. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, that era did not have much, even for slasher movies, uh, which I love. Um, I mean, I had like Slumber Party Massacre 3, but... Um, yeah, I, it is heart wrenching and 
I, I feel like you're taking, like every time I watched it and I didn't watch it till a few years ago. I just, I don't know why, but, um, I watched it over and over when I first saw it and I saw something different every single time. And one of the things that does, you know, really come out at me, uh, is the visual that, that, um, Adrian Lane is, what, what is his name? Adrian. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That he uses with, um, speeding up motion, for actors, so he has has uh, the some of these demons that he films them at like to whatever the RPM. I, it's not RPM, but it's whatever. But he speeds it up to twenty four, and so you get this like really fast shaking effect, and it scared the shit out of me. <laughs> and it always has. It still does. Um, it is like a fever dream. Uh, I do usually say. I've I've noticed recently that I say this about a lot of movies that, especially horror movies, that they don't really know what kind of movie they're they're doing, or they're not they're 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 confused about what what the movie is. And in this movie, you could like I I don't think you can say that even though it's really really, uh, I don't know like it's like a fever dream. I mean, there's just so much going on and, you know, there's this war story. There is this like horror story. There's, you know, what reality is he in? Like, is he dead? Is he alive? Like all of this stuff, but somehow it fits, which I think is really interesting. So, um, yeah. What do you have? What do you think about that? Um, it's, it's an interesting film in a sense where, you know, a lot of films when, when they have these, you know, uh, delusion scenes in them or they have these uh you know just wild imaginatory scenes they it's it's hard to find a place where they're grounded in this film the whole thing is grounded by his life that you assume that he has with the girlfriend right like the the life that they have in the city and and all that but the further you go it's like the less you you really what is real is there anything here i can stand on that's solid uh, to give me a read on the rest of it. And it, yeah, it just goes on like that. You know, I don't think it was too popular when it came out. I saw it, you know, pretty much right after it came out. We rented it and I watched it. So I was probably 11. Uh, you know, every time I've watched this, I watched it around that era. I watched it in my 20s, uh, you know, 30s. In each one of those uh, decades in your life, you're the smartest person you're ever going to be. That's what you believe anyway. So every time I saw this, I, I got something different out of it, you know, and uh, that's the truth. The first time I saw it, it just creeped me out as a kid. I just thought it was creepy. Like you said, the scenes with the shaking head that they went on, they did that, you know, a hundred times in other films. Uh, but nobody did it this good, I don't think, because they showed it very, a very minimal amount to a very effective uh, range. And, um, yeah, then, you know, seeing it later on in life and picking up on all the other aspects of it, of war, war is hell, uh you know, is is Jacob Singer stuck in hell? Is Jacob Singer stuck in his own mind? Is that just as bad as hell? And uh, so on and so forth. And it's just whatever happened to him or whatever you take away from it. I mean, in my mind, at the end of this film, he it's revealed that he's dead hmm. or that he's dying. You know, he's basically seeing his entire life flash before his eyes, but also. Yeah, he has like a. Yeah, his whole life has been, or like whatever you've seen in the movie, like with the girlfriend, it yeah. at least has been has been his like 
whatever he's been thinking as he's dying. Right. And they say that when you, you know, this is what they say. Who knows? A lot of people don't get to come back and tell us, but they say that when you die or when you start to die, that your brain releases a chemical reaction that, you know, keeps you from freaking out about it. You know, it like, it's like a euphoric thing that keeps you from freaking out about it. And for all we know that, it, you know, that could be what what he's going through here. It might not be totally chemically induced outside of what's happening. It could just be what's in, you know, his mind just shutting off and going to sleep or whatever. But it's just, it's interesting all the way around and it's sad, man. And um, I would say the one thing that I always get out of it is that it's the government's fault. Don't trust the government. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, that my I think my favorite scene actually is the is the scene where he where Mike um I can't remember his name in real life. Um I mean, I know, I remember his name in real life, but not in the movie. The guy that's well, now I can't remember his name either. Matt Craven's character, Michael Newman, he plays Right, Michael. the chemist. I was about to call him Michael Crane, so <laughs> that was maybe I don't know, that was maybe the Mandela effect. Um but that scene I love so much because that's when it really comes to, and I love the the whole uh, these weird tests and stuff that went on during Vietnam, like learning about that kind of stuff and um, just like the mess up things that they did. So I really like that scene. Plus, like at the end, you're like, oh my god, like this is nothing. This is not what I was expecting at all, <laughs> at all. Have you, and, seen, have you ever seen a movie called The Banshee Chapter from like 2013? That movie is, it's got some, uh, it opens up with some stuff that talks about, you know, they really did a lot of these experiments. This shit sounds made up, but it's not all completely made up. They did a lot of these experiments on people. And uh, that's what that film starts talking about. And even in, like there's an apology from President Clinton in there when he's talking about all these hundreds uh, the, of people. The, yeah. But the... The uh, yeah the, but I can't remember what they're called. The test where they gave the guys syphilis. Oh uh, no! He had, to, he had to apologize like, for that. But like, they, gases being let off in Florida and stuff like that. Different experiments, yeah. But uh, mainly this this one drug that you know people. I think I know what you're talking about. People uh, still seek this out and try to take it. It's like it's like DMT, but uh, with something else added to it, and it's basically a. A drug that when you take it, it makes you feel removed from yourself. You know what I mean? You you become an existential thing, or you believe you are. And, uh, yeah, so some of these guys, you know, they tripped hard. And it was so hard that, you know, you start getting into talking about reality being perception. And what are these guys, you know, if they believe something hard enough, where, where the hell did they go? You know? Right. Yeah. And so that's kind of like where it's at with me for, for Jacob's Ladder. I mean, I know some of these things actually happen to people. You know, I know there's there's hundreds of studies where they there's studies where they uh, put subconscious uh, drugs in in the water supply of a whole town as a primer. Mm -hmm. And then they would sense, uh, you know, subconscious. I know this sounds like I'm a crackpot <laughs> conspiracy. No, this, no, some of this stuff is real. <laughs> I read this in a book, by the way. It was not it was not something that. uh you know, that I just made up uh, in bed the other night. No, I, I actually read this, that, you know, they did these kind of things. And they it wasn't something that was serious that really messed with people, but it was like a, a drug they put in the water that was basically a primer. Then they could just go around and mess with people and see if it was working. And uh, it was crazy, you know what I mean? Like, that they did this stuff to people. But, yeah, so always, man, this one always makes me sad. It really does because there's so many guys out there that went through so much that got, 
just mistreated and you know lost people would look at you know a vet a certain way back then and it was just sad and um I, mean, I think that still happens with today's veterans not as bad as vietnam but i think a lot of times i mean they don't have the resources to help them and some people don't agree with well a lot of people don't agree with what's happening and so That's you know true. these people are coming back with you know hardly any resources to help them psychologically and they've seen so much and they go but you know they become alcoholics and sometimes they end up having shootouts with the police that happened to a vet in my hometown of Maryville and it was kind of seen as like the best case scenario was that he got shot by them because which is horrible but uh because he was going to, it was going to be worse that he was going to sh- kill a lot of people if that hadn't happened or something. It was, it was, he, you know, he was, he had come back being a sniper like a few times and uh, just went nuts from it and no one would give him the help that he needed. So, yeah. Well, you, you take a, you take an average person, you raise them for 18 years of their life on apple pie and going to church on Sunday and, you know, being the, uh, captain of the football team, and then you know one day you put them in the middle of the jungle and say you got to kill a bunch of people or they're going to kill you. Go. That's right. that's you know your mind is not prepared to <laughs> make that switch and stick with it for very long without something bad happening. Or in you know the guys today, they I think the thing with the guys today they uh, train with Call of Duty. I mean, they yeah. actually used Call of Duty to train military now. See, I'd be I'd be in a lot of trouble because. <laughs> I, I, mean, I can't I play Call of Duty <laughs> unless I can unless I can respawn, and I don't think that happens in in, in Afghanistan. So, oh. <laughs> but, yeah, it's just yeah, it's always a it's a sad movie. I like going back to it, but then every time I rewatch it, I'm like, oh yeah, that's why I haven't watched this in a couple of years. It's sad. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually doing um, another recording with Alex tomorrow about uh, Sorority House Massacre, so I watched that after, which was like a really good palate cleanser <laughs> that's the thing though right uh it's actually it's like taking the medicine instead of taking the kool-aid because you know you have the subgenres that you love like the slashers and creature features and stuff that you can just turn your mind off and enjoy it and just go with it but then there are some of these horror movies like the exorcist and jacob's ladder and stuff that <laughs> you know you feel obligated all. yeah you're obligated as a fan you got to go back every now and then and watch them but then you're like when you watch it you're like damn yeah, it's terrifying or scary or or sad. And you're like, I don't want to watch this anymore right yeah, now. Yeah, I remember when I watched every time I watch Texas Chainsaw, which is at least once a year, sometimes more. I do the same thing with Bully, which is not a horror movie, but might as well be with Brad Renfro. It's one of the uh-huh. most disturbing movies and also probably in my top five favorite movies. Like I will watch it about four times a year. Like, no, not many people. People are like, I watched that once. It was fine, but I'm not going to watch it again. But I don't know. Oh. There's just something about those movies that, like, it built it, like, but the screaming in Texas Chainsaw is so, like, I did I never realized until I was living around people. I was like, oh, my God, this sounds like someone's, like, literally being murdered in my home. I can't do this. See, those kids in, in Bully, they should have murdered him. About 45 minutes earlier in the movie, and then they should have been quiet about it. And the movie would have been a little bit shorter and a whole lot better. <laughs> well, it, but, you know, the true story was not that. <laughs> no, but I mean, in that movie, though, like, they made his character so despicable that you were kind of sitting there going, 
What are you guys waiting on? Well, yeah, he, he was. He was yeah. despicable. But he, the, I don't know. I have a lot to say about that. That, that. Yeah, I think Nick Saul's a great actor, but he was miscast just because Bobby Kent was actually like a, a heavy steroid user and like a huge guy. Yeah, and, that's right. Yeah. So, like, it's not as believable. But anyway, that's a whole nother tangent. So um, I'm going to go into, a li- like, a little bit of trivia. Um, and the first stuff has to do with um, what we were talking about with the drug testing, uh, testing drugs, you know, during wartime and otherwise. So it says the closing legend of the film mentions the testing of a drug named BZ in Vietnam. BZ is NATO code for a hallucinogen, which I'm going to butcher, called three quinius. Okay, hold on. Three quinius lindensen. I don't know, benzylate, which was rumored to have been administered to U.S. troops during the Vietnam War in an attempt to increase their combat abilities. So I believe that. And um, there's a lot of. Uh, uh, he used a lot of the case of using the thalidomide, which was a a drug that uh, I think I think it was banned in the U.S. pretty early, so it didn't. There weren't really that many cases here, but in Germany and a few other places, uh, this was a drug that was given to women who were pregnant, and it led to a lot of really really horrible and horrific birth defects and i th- i think he used um those birth defects as um especially in the hospital scene when he's being taken through the mental ward and he's seeing all of these people and the the guy with the three toes or whatever is climbing on the gate and stuff that's that's definitely taken from pictures of kids with that whose mom had taken this drug i thought that was really interesting because i do i don't know i'm into that kind of stuff it's weird (laughs) but um other interesting uh trivia to me was that um you know, Tim Robbins before this had been doing a lot of comedy and he really, really wanted to do this because he wanted to do something that was not comedic but because he wanted people to know that he could do other things. While the director had actually wanted Tom Hanks to do the to be um, Jacob Singer. And um, curiously, the director had dropped out of doing Chariots of Fire. I think that's the movie to um direct this film which you know that movie ended up having tom hanks in it so um i mean you mean bonfire of the vanities yes i'm sorry Cherry, <laughs> i knew it was like, yeah, I was Fire like way earlier <laughs> we all i knew that when i said it i'm sorry guys <clears throat> that that means i'm not just reading this okay <laughs> <laughs> it's probably another you know mandela effect um yes yeah, bonfire of the vanities i'm sorry um and so also uh, the special effects were filmed live with no post-production. So that's pretty interesting, especially because some things were, you know, they were kind of trying to add some stuff at that time. Um, and most of the dialogue in the opening scene between the soldiers was improvised, which I thought was pretty funny because there's a lot of the, a lot of that masturbation talk that was all improvised between Ving Rhames and uh, Tim Robbins. Mm. And 
I think it's pretty obvious that this was this movie was a major inspiration for the Silent Hill video game franchise. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I also I'm going to say it again. I just think it's really funny that Macaulay Culkin was in this movie and uncredited. I mean, like I know, like I know they didn't know like who he was going to be, but at the same time, I'm like, come on, it's it's Macaulay Culkin, like. You should have known, but he, yeah, he's uncredited. And I was, when I was rewatching it, I also noticed that Michael Imperioli, I think is how you pronounce his name from the Sopranos. And he was in a couple, like he was in a couple episodes of law and order, um, that he, I was like, Oh my God, that looks totally like that guy in the scene where he's being, um, taken in the stretcher. And it is him. It's him. He's the doctor that's that's like he's asking, you know, who who did this to you? And Tim Robbins is like Santa. And he's like, what? So that is Michael Imper- Imperioli. And he is not credited as well. So I thought that was super interesting. Um, and I just want to say that I really love Tim Robbins in this movie. And I'm really glad it wasn't Tom Hanks. I don't think he could have. I've sorry to say i don't think he could have pulled it off the same way and tim robbins is just adorable in this movie like i just think he's the cutest so it's a it's interesting film i think uh one of the things we maybe the only thing we didn't talk about is the spirituality of it because oh yeah the biblical it's it's very biblical yeah yeah i mean the story's called jacob's ladder and that's referring to like a you know place between heaven and earth or something and uh also yeah it's a reference to you know dante's inferno by dante alighieri which i just talked about uh the house that jack built the other day and it's got a similar vibe to it because of that where uh you know he's on his final journey and um the guy who wrote it he wrote some other stuff that was you know similarly interesting when it comes to spirituality he said this was jacob's ladder yeah bruce joel rubin yeah, Bruce Joel Rubin. He's a screenwriter and co-producer. He he said that he saw it as a modern interpretation of the book Liberation Through Hearing During the Intermediate State, the Tibetan Book of the Dead. He also wrote some other stuff like Ghost, and he mm-hmm. wrote uh, uh, Brainstorm, which had Christopher Walken in it, which was where people uh, wore this machine that showed their thoughts, and somebody wore it when they died and caused this great freak out between the the scientist working on it. And he also wrote Deadly Friend, which is uh, a co-wrote Deadly Friend. Uh, Wes Craven, yeah. Wes Craven film, which had some to do with uh, life after death, too, in a way. So uh, very interesting, you know, that this one guy had all those different concepts about life and death and whatever happened in between that. So, uh, yeah, it's a great movie. So I, I will piggyback off that real quick and say uh, I did find this information. It said in uh, Bruce Joel Rubin's original screenplay, all of the demons who appear throughout the film were typical biblical demons with horns, wings, uh, cloven hooves, 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 sorry, <laughs> etc. But director Adrian Lynn felt that this kind of imagery could very easily come across as comic, which would destroy the film. He felt the fact uh, he felt that the fact that the imagery was so far from he- human lessened its impact, and as such, he decided he wanted the demons to be humanesque, but not quite human. So that's when he put in the stuff with um, the thalidomide scandal and the BZ 
stuff that they use over in Nam. So I thought that was uh, pretty interesting. And they cut 20 minutes of this too. So oh yeah, the they first cut. time they showed it, people freaked out. So you know, there, there's no telling. I don't have. I don't think I've ever seen a cut that had all 20 minutes of that back in it. So I found a, some information on the scenes that were cut, but a lot of them were just like there was a longer the part with um, Tim Robbins and Michael. Matt Craven, whatever his name is, I'm still not remembering, was longer. Um, and I'm sure there were some scenes with the, the with the um, faceless people and stuff like that that was cut out. Um, because that is pretty horrific for people, so. Okay, yeah, so I will move, I will move on to the other... Uh, the unsolved mystery that we'll be talking about, which is the phenomenon of the Mandela effect. Are you ready? <laughs> I would prefer that we call it the Morgan Freeman effect just for effect. Oh my gosh. That, it, that is actually <laughs> so true. <laughs> like, yes. Yeah. The Morgan Freeman effect. Um, so here's what the, the, what what the Mandela effect is? It's it occurs when a large group of people believe in an event occurred when it did not. There are many many examples. Um, it got its name when Fiona Broom, a self-identified, so you know, self-identified paranormal consultant, detailed how she remembered former south african president nelson mandela dying in the 1980s in prison although he lived until 2013 broom described remembering news coverage of his death and even a speech from his widow about his death yet none of, none of it happened if broom's thoughts occurred in isolation that would be one factor however broom found that other people thought the exact same as her even though the event never happened she was the only one who felt like it did. As a result, she wasn't the only one who felt like it did. As a result, the Mandela effect concept was born. So what are your thoughts about the Mandela effect? <laughs> My thoughts are that a, a very famous black man died in the 80s and his wife gave a speech about it. And uh, there's some moronic white people out there who thought it was Nelson Mandela. <laughs> that's exactly what it mm -hmm. I mean, right? I mean, that's what... I, <laughs> It's ridiculous. I mean, I understand the concept of memory being false and things like that. And like when I was a cop, they taught us about, you know, false memory. And mainly the reason why they teach about that is because they say, look, if you're there, you're, if yeah. you're testifying, there's no reason to lie if you're a cop. I mean, unless you did something wrong. But, you know, honest, if you're an honest cop, there's no reason to lie ever because you can always say I would have to refer back to my initial report on that. That's why you write that report. So six months later, when somebody's asking you about it, if you don't remember something, you don't have to lie. You can say uh, it's on that report, whatever that says. That's what happened. It's kind of an out, you know what I mean? Because well, yeah, which has because been, memory is bad, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, and it's totally a real reason to use it. It has been used as out as an out for some corrupt people, but yes, um, normal people don't write down every single thing that they witness. So no, and and people forget things and memory. Like we were talking earlier, and the way I've always seen it is, is memory is just like a construct. You know, there's a template there for what you remembered. 
and then your mind kind of fills in the colors and the sounds and you know sometimes you might see it in black and white i've heard people tell me that before that they remember things in black and white and uh that's just kind of like a thing that we do as people you know we we have to uh have a way to tap into it and so that's our key is through you know adding all the color and stuff to it so we can almost feel like we're back in that moment at that time but well it's also um to me it's i don't remember what it's called but um when you know after you've learned the the english language and can read it or i guess any language for that matter but i know specifically with the english language um someone can put up a whole article where they leave out letters in words and you can yeah. still read the whole thing just because your mind knows enough to fix it i guess well, so you know you ever, I, it's you just ever a, talk to some of these uh like if you talk to some of these paranormal investigators, one of the realest ones that I ever talked to told me that he had seen this several times with people that they will say, look, this is one of the experiences I've had in my house. And so you listen to that experience and the first place your mind goes is you think, well, I have seen that in a scary movie somewhere. Mm -hmm. And the truth of it is, is that they have too. And whatever was happening to them in that moment the only way that their mind could perceive it was the only way they've ever seen it actually happen, which is in a scary movie. And so that kind of, you know, because we were talking about how, you know, some people, it seems like you, you are, they're very believable. You know, when you talk to them, they're very believable. They're, they're telling the Chil truth. Children, especially, mind. I mean. Right. And then some people you can tell that they're, you know, they're trying to get attention or there's something else going on that, you know, they're making up this story. Or trying to make themselves believe this story, but you know, it it gave me a, a third option, which was that this these things really are happening to those people. They just don't have any way to process it, and so the way it comes out or the way they see it is kind of the way they've seen it in scary movies or heard other people talk about it. Yeah, and and for well, you know, Ash, Ashley, I think has some different opinions on it, but um, it's you know this Mandela effect, the whole conspiracy is, conspiracy is that there's this alternate reality where these things are happening um and like i was telling you earlier you know not on the podcast but i do have my bachelor's in psychology i have my grad graduate graduate degree uh, and uh counseling so i'm not believing this just because of you know i've learned a lot about false memory groupthink um the more you're suggested something, the more that more you think of it like that's what happened. For example, this is really stupid, but I mean, it's honestly really stupid. So when I was about when did um that U2 album come out? Uh, Joshua Tree, like 1990, 1989, something like that. Yeah, somewhere around there, early okay, 90s. So, yeah, so I was like four or five and my dad watched he. Well, my mom too, but she, I guess she just didn't care. But he would have me. We watched MTV all the time because it was just music videos then. And until I was like 20 or something like that, and I saw the music video for With or Without You by U2 again, I thought that Bono had no, like, was naked during the video. Who knows why? Because he's wearing a, like, I think a leather vest and jeans. He's completely, like, covered. But I, I, and I, was, I just remember thinking, well, that's weird. He's naked. Like, they're just letting this guy be naked. And I mean, I don't know what that was, but like, maybe 
maybe it's an untapped sexuality or something. I don't know. But like <laughs> it, that clearly was not real. <laughs> no, it's not real. <laughs> but um, I mean, and then you have things like the that famous test where they had. I can't think of the name of it right now. Listen, it's been a, it's been about 10 years since I got out of grad school. So I'm sorry if I can't like name every single test, but I know there was one where, um, they had a piece of paper with lines on it and they were all different lengths. And they asked the people first, they just said, okay, which one's the longest? And they said, you know, which, whatever one was the longest. So they were like, Oh, that's the longest one. And then they brought in a group of, People, one person was not told about the experiment. The other people were told to say that another line was the longest that wasn't the longest. And at first, the uh, the guy that was being experimented on was like, well, it's clearly this one. You know, this is the longest one. But the more the other people said, no, it's this one. It's this one. He finally was like, yeah, it's that one. It's that one. So, uh, I mean, I just think like su- suggestibility um, I think trauma. Uh, I think a lot of things like fuzzy trace memory. Um, there's just a lot of like there are individual differences of how you you perceive a situation that that's going to change how you how you see something. Like you and I could be on the same street and see something f- fucked up happen. And you could be standing like five feet away from me and how I perceive the incident as, you know, and how you perceive the incident is different. So, like I said, trauma is another thing. Sleep deprivation can cause this. Um, it's It just reminds me a lot of the daycare, satanic panic stuff that was going on in like the late 80s early 90s where they were taking all there was a lot of suggestibility by some psych psychologists um to children that were in a in specific daycares it didn't just happen in one and um they were coached into remembering something that didn't happen and the stuff was horrifying but when you read the transcripts or listen or even listen to the interviews with these children, you can tell they're being coached into like, okay, say that, you know, but it needs to be more. It needs to be more. And kids are notoriously uh, very like they really want to please adults. That's kind of an innate characteristic of most children. And so it makes sense that they're like, oh, well, yeah, that did happen because you because they think that's what these people want them to say. And so, I yeah, it just it makes sense to me. I just think all of this is false memory. Yeah, that was a bad deal. They ruined a lot of people's lives uh, with that. And I think I remember like there was a whole town in California or somewhere ended up being like 35 kids or something went and said their parents were involved in this backwoods satanic cult where they were all meeting and swapping kids and all kinds of, none of it was true. Uh, and the FBI still says to this day that they don't have any evidence of, of any like severely violent crime related directly to Satanism. There's cult crimes and stuff like that, but you know, just not, not just pure. They were out worshiping the devil and they decided to sacrifice a bunch of people. They haven't found any of that yet. And, uh, I don't know. I mean, like, 
it's it's tough because when it comes to victims and stuff, you have to you have to believe them to a certain extent. But like you said, in that situation, they created the victims, and the kids were like, you know, okay, well they're coming to your house to talk to you today, and uh, if you're part of this now, you need you know they're coaxed into it, or you know, the whole way, and so yeah, it's it's terrible. Um, as far as the false memory stuff, I mean. I don't know. It seems like I would almost trust an individual person with their story over a group of people, wouldn't you? I mean, if there's like 15 yeah. people telling you the same story, well, you would think that was odd. It, it, I mean, it would depend on what it was, you know, like. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was really depend on what it was uh, at an age, you know, with children. It's it's just a whole different ball game with them. Like this stuff went on with uh, the daycares like satanic panic hysteria went on from 1982 until 2013. Um, the Kern County child abuse, McMartin preschool trial. Those were like really big ones, but yeah, I don't know. Um, I guess it just depends. I mean, if I see it's so hard nowadays to even think of an example because there's always like footage of stuff. So like oh, with yeah. uh, with something like George Floyd or something like that, I probably would believe the group, but I also saw the video. So you know, a lot of people are into personal privacy, but I got to tell you something. If if I was like 22 years old, uh, five foot two, had blonde hair and blue eyes, and it was a co-ed at a college. Are you me? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just You're saying. I, I would want. I would you know. With all the satellites and technology and stuff we have today, you could possibly be filmed 24 hours a day if you wanted to. And then you could just wear a little sign on you like you have in your front yard that says, uh, this house is protected by, you can just put this body is protected by. <laughs> yeah, just like, wear those around. If anything happens to me, you know, anytime one of those vans pulls up or anything, you just tell them, if anything happens to me, people are watching it right now. So there's not going to be any, you know, misremembering what you look like. or <laughs> you know, Right. It's in that is interesting that you talk about that because this whole, especially with QAnon and stuff like that, um, it's like it's still hard to know what to believe. Sometimes I'm not talking now. Are you, I was talking about George Floyd. I'm not saying that I didn't believe that. I cl clearly be do believe that story. But, oh, yeah, um, they killed that guy. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I watched the whole thing. And it's one of the most, actually, like, for being such a horrific, it's probably one of the most horrific things I've ever seen in my life. So, but I know there have been times in the past, like, I know they did this. Yeah, I told you I've been watching that uh, Dark Side of the Ring. And I can't remember who it was, but somebody was superimposing his face onto someone else's body to do something with pro wrestling and like i don't know there's a lot of fake there's a lot of fake stuff out there on social media so it's really hard it's sometimes it's hard when you're looking at stuff to know what's real and what's not because there are a lot of things that can be edited and chopped and like mixed up and stuff to where you're like well i believe that but maybe it's not true I don't know. I think that it's it's a crapshoot, right? I mean, like, to be honest, like, probably uh, 999 conspiracy theories out of 1,000 are totally false. It's just bullshit. But then there's 
I really Waco. truly do believe I there do is believe one. I believe there is one in that thousand that I, I, I just like, you know, I'm one of those people where I can buy a lot of stuff, but I don't think that Lee Harvey Oswald killed John F. Kennedy. I think that's ridiculous. Oh, no, I don't either. And it's I, not I, possible. I actually don't think the Martin Luther King shooting was all uh, Henry Lee Lucas uh, the same. Well, I don't. There's, he was uh, way too dumb to to plan all that. So uh, it wasn't Henry. Henry Lee Lucas was the serial killer that. Oh yeah, ran around with, James uh, Earl artists. Ray. James yeah, Earl James Ray. Earl Ray. Um, um, yeah. Yeah, there's too many questions there about the police, the local police, and all, a bunch of other stuff. But, and I will say, I do believe Waco. What I mean, even though the group itself was like messed up, I do think that it was uh, like a revenge on Ruby Ridge kind of like let's get in here and like fuck with them kind of thing but that's the only other one I think they were idiots I think they I mean, just I bought too. from the I beginning and they the FBI put themselves in a standoff they didn't have to be in or the ATF whatever it was they, they put themselves in a standoff with those people that they didn't have to be in and then once they got into it they refused to back down like because that's some kind of you know, great sin or something to break the, to yeah, back well, down and not yeah. encourage violence. I mean, what was the end game there? You know, a bunch of people are going to get shot. You're telling us there, there's innocent people in this compound. Why are you forcing a conflict? What sense? What sense does that make? Yeah, because no one well, else seemed to have a problem with them. So, uh, but you know, this is going to be just another side note. But have you seen Waco? Oh, now I'm going to forget what it's called. Something of War. It's a documentary about Waco. I'm not sure. I've seen. I've watched a lot of stuff on it over the years, and I remember it happening pretty, pretty clearly. Oh, the Rules of Engagement. That's what it's called. Waco: The Rules of Engagement. But it shows them like the ATF. They had buried a body that had gotten shot in the beginning of it, and they buried him outside. And they so like the ATFs have had some like big like tractor like just continuously roll over it again and again just to like mess with them it's they had just they dealt with they had the whole thing with jim jones now they didn't directly deal with him when all that went down but the reason why it went down is because ruby rich i mean they tried to when uh they had the jim jones thing when he poisoned all his followers they that all went down because an American senator went over there and wanted to verify that everything was okay. And on his way out, they freaked out about what he was going to tell people to try to shoot his plane down. And so Jim Jones knew. He was like, okay, they're coming to get my ass. And, yep. you know, this I've is the it. end. Right. So yeah. this is this is the same thing that happened with David Koresh. He wasn't going to let them come in there and take him alive. I mean. I think they botched Ruby Ridge so poorly, though. I think it came so close to what happened in Ruby Ridge that they were like, we're not going to fuck this up, like, kind of thing. But they totally they, did. They fucked it up, yeah. They, yeah, they I mean, in every way. Um, anyway, sorry for the tangent, you guys. <laughs> yeah, we're off in a different direction there. Okay, so um, I didn't give my stars for Jacob Slider. I think I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10, which is... By no means low. I might maybe in like seven point five even. Um, that's like really high for me. Um, and as far as the Mandela effect, I think it's false memory, and I think it's a psychiatric like it's a it's a thing that happens in your brain, 
and it's not an alternate reality. And you guys, you should be fine with that. It's okay. <laughs> so, thank you so much, Jay, for being on this show with me today. Full Body Frights. This, uh, this turned into a bunch of craziness. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know I was going to have to give opinions on American conflicts. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was fun. I had a good time. And, uh, you know, anytime you guys uh, want to talk, I'm, I'm willing to, to chat with you. Well, I don't know if I'm so sure after that comment. But, <laughs> but guys, follow <laughs> us. Follow us at Full Body Frights on uh, any podcast platform. Our Insta is Full Body Frights, no spaces. And our Gmail is fullbodyfrights at gmail.com. And... Don't forget to look for Jay with Jay versus Horror. He's really, really awesome. He has great taste. He has awesome, fun interviews to listen to. So check him out. And thank you so much, Jay, for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. 